This morning's sermon text comes from Revelations chapter 2 and verses 8 through 11. Let's hear the reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. This morning's message is on suffering, but just not any type of suffering, but Christian suffering. The suffering that takes place when you name the name of Christ. The suffering in which you're called to, you're charged to suffer for his namesake. Smyrna was a church in a very big city, a city that was full of idolatry and full of worship of the emperor. They were in a very vulnerable position, for Christianity was illegal. To even say you were a Christian was to bring the wrath of the empire down upon you, to bring down whatever persecution the ruler of the day saw fit. And the church of Smyrna was going to experience that. The uniqueness of this letter is it's probably the shortest that's given to the churches, to the seven churches. It is also one that doesn't come with rebuke. It's one that comes with praise and one with encouragement. That's something for us to understand that when we're dealing with suffering and dealing with those in suffering, be careful that rebuke's not part of how you comfort and how you console. The Lord will speak to this church. The Lord will speak to this church to bring about a knowledge of himself. That's what the book of Revelation is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Every time you approach the book of Revelation, keep that in mind. That if you're not seeing Jesus more, then you're probably not hearing the message of what Revelation is saying. And so here, the church of Smyrna was going to face great suffering. Great suffering, great persecution. And as they go among this suffering and this persecution, it's only natural for them to say, is that God, have you forgotten about us? God, are you there? We live in a world that asks that very question, that tries to indict God and say, how could a good and gracious God allow suffering in the world? That's one that we probably ask ourselves. 
Because God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can keep suffering back if he chooses to do so. He does. Believe me, suffering is not as great as it could be. But by God's grace, it's not as great as it could be. But suffering is present in the world. Christianity does have an answer for that. The Bible has an answer for why is there suffering. And it's a simple answer. Because sin is entered into the world. Because of our disobedience, because of our sin, our violation of the holiness of God, suffering was allowed in, was brought in. Because God created us to enjoy him, to glorify him, to be lit, to live in peace and to be in the fellowship with him in the garden that he would receive all glory and praise. But man wanted his own glory. And because man wanted his own glory, he disobeyed God and sin entered into the world. It's a very simple answer of why suffering exists. Now, the simplicity of that answer doesn't remove the questions that come. Because what the Christian wants to know is, where is my comfort? Suffering is present. To know that sin is entered into the world is only going to draw up more questions for the believer. Well, how do I get back to that time when there was no suffering? How do I get back when it didn't seem like the whole world was against me? And I'm bearing that weight and that burden upon my shoulder, and I just can't bear it anymore. And so Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks. And what we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us today is that there is comfort and knowing suffering. It just may not come in the way that you expect. It may not come in the way that you desire, in the way that you want. But yet, the comfort that a Christian is to have is the one that is found in knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, that's the comfort that all people in the world are called to come to know, is that the suffering that you have It's just a small weight, it's a small measure when it's shown in your belief and your faith in Christ. As we approach the three areas that we'll look at about how we get comforted in knowing suffering, I want you to keep in mind something that Paul Tripp wrote in his book, Suffering. Paul Tripp went through a great uh, ordeal of suffering, he still does, he still does is a very bad kidney disease that he highlights uh, through his book. And it took him all by surprise. It struck him down in the moment of his ministry. It changed his life. But in it, he learned something wonderful. And so we need to um, learn from that as well. Paul Tripp writes in his book about that question, about the theology of suffering in Scripture is never, ever an end in itself. The Bible does not teach suffering for the sake of suffering. It just doesn't. But it is designed as a means to the end of real comfort, real direction, real protection, real conviction, and real hope. I really appreciated how he emphasized real. There are so many things in our life that we can call real, but they're not real. 
They're things that we conjure up in ourselves, if you will. We create things to, de- to develop comfort in our life that's really no comfort at all. Avoiding suffering and avoiding conflict is not really comfort. It just isn't. It's just a denial of suffering. And suffering in the Christian way of life is very real. It's very real. And so that's what we come to first. And how Jesus comforts the church of Smyrna. He writes first that into the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. We saw that at the beginning of Revelation when we were understanding who this letter was written to. It was written to the seven churches. And we talked about who those seven churches are. Now we're going to see how Jesus interacts and engages with these actual real churches that we can learn comfort through suffering, through the knowledge of how they suffered and how Jesus comforted them. That is the way that we are to be comforted. And so Jesus first is saying, I am the eternal Lord. I am the first and the last. There is no time outside of me who died and came to life. He has conquered death. That will be a very fitting message, a very fitting identification in what will be said to the church of Smyrna. The words of what is going to be said may not bring them comfort, may not bring you comfort, because it may not be what you're looking for. But here, Christ is going to say, look at me. I'm with you in the midst of your suffering. That's the comfort for a Christian. And so he was saying to the church of Smyrna, I notice it. I notice your suffering. I'm with you in your suffering. I'm the God, the Lord of all eternity, the one who has conquered death. I know best about suffering. And I am with you in suffering. And the way that Jesus tells that to the church of Smyrna is he tells three things that he knows. Three things that he knows. He says in verse 9, I know your tribulation. That word know has a past tense and a present tense connotation. That is telling us that Jesus knows how we suffered. And he knows our suffering. He's acquainted with that suffering. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The first thing that Jesus wants the church of Smyrna to know is I know you are suffering. When you're going through something where you're suffering and someone doesn't really recognize that you're suffering, it's not very comforting. It kind of leaves you out on an island by yourself and just adds to your suffering. If someone doesn't understand, someone doesn't care, but Jesus takes notice, and he wants the church of Smyrna to know it hasn't gone unnoticed. As I've walked among the candlesticks and expected 
all my churches and I'm taking care and protecting and caring and, and trimming and doing all the work that's necessary for the church to be alive and grow, I've taken notice of you. I've taken notice of you. And so the second thing that Jesus wants the church of Smyrna to know is he knows the ways that the church of Smyrna is suffering. They're suffering in three ways. There's many ways to suffer in this world. There are many degrees of suffering. From having a hurt toe, okay, from breaking an arm, from going through a, a bad relationship and having relationships broken, the suffering, the loss of life of your children, suffering the loss of life in your loved ones. Those are all great sufferings, things that Jesus is using to mature us and grow us if we're Christians, to bring us to a moment where we don't cling to this life, but we cling to the life that's to come. If suffering isn't leading you to that, then you're not suffering like a Christian. You're suffering like the world. You're suffering like the world. But he says, I know your tribulation. I know the weight. There's ways that the Christians suffer in the world that are only unique to the Christian. And here Jesus says it. It's not enough for someone to say, I know you're suffering. But when they kind of go point by point, to recognize the true suffering that you're going through, that impact that is made is like, they really do. They get it. They understand. And so, yes, Jesus could have said in a general way, I know you're suffering, church. But he says, no, I know how you're suffering. I know the ways of your suffering. I know your tribulation. I know the affliction. I know the weight and the pressure that is coming down upon you in the world for naming my name, for being simply a Christian. And I know your poverty. That word that's used there is not simply saying you're just poor in a little way, but you are extremely poor. You're destitute. Everything that you have in this world, the abundance of your wealth is gone. Why? Because you're a Christian. We don't know that kind of suffering in America. We don't be naive to think that one day we won't. But we don't know that kind of suffering. There are plenty of Christians all across the world that know this kind of suffering. They know the tribulation. They know they have to move around in the dark. They have to go into hiding. They have to make it known, uh, keep their, their, their position unknown. But yet then they name the name of Christ to bring his word and his light into a world of darkness, knowing that they may pay the ultimate price. We don't know that here in America. So that's why I have the word of God before you. Enter into the real the afflictions that are going on here with the church of Smyrna. And then understand your afflictions in light of what's taking place here. The poverty was so great that Jesus had to offer the, the word of comfort right away. Because you can almost feel, as Jesus said, you, you are poverty. I know you're poverty. And it's just, 
how much of that destitution that you have, and I mean, just the reality of Jesus sees it and it's that real, then the weight and the, and the torment of being that poor. But then Jesus lays the bomb and says, but you are rich. Don't look at your wealth in this world based on your earthly possessions. Know that you're rich. I know you. I know you're suffering, and I know you're a state, and because you're my child, you have all the wealth of eternity. You have the wealth of my grace, my love. You may be in an estate of sin and misery. That's how all of us are in. But position in Christ, in relationship to, with Christ, we have all the wealth of eternity. Our poverty is light in comparison to the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And there what Jesus says is, I know the slander. That word there is blasphemy. That you have this malicious speaking that is taking place to accuse you, to charge you, to bring uh, the, great, the, the intentional harm to you because of what you say and of who you are. And so Jesus is saying, I know the ways that you're suffering. I know the ways that you're suffering. And there the third thing that Jesus knows that gives comfort to the church is that I know the cause of your suffering. It isn't a surprise to God that you're suffering. It isn't a surprise to God in the ways that you're suffering. It's not a surprise to God what, that, what the things that cause your suffering. Consider what we read in Job. God was fully aware. God was fully in control. Satan could not do anything unless God permitted him to do so in order for a purpose, for a purpose, the very thing that Paul Tripp said. Learn the theology of suffering, biblically, is to learn real comfort, to real direction in life. That's not a very popular message, but that's the message of the Word of God. That's the message of the Word of God that sustains you and keeps you and holds you in the reality of God's love. That God is sovereign, and no harm, no uh, affliction, no persecution can come upon you. It doesn't just come upon you for no reason. It comes there to mature you and grow you in the love of God. And so Jesus knows the cause of the church of Smyrna's suffering. Those who call themselves Jews and are not. In other words, they name themselves to be God's people. But yet they're not God's people. They're not God's people. They name themselves to be those who have received the blessing of God. And the church, one way that they were able to exist in the world under this persecution is they would join themselves to the Jews. Because the Jews were an acceptable religion to the Romans. They could operate freely and not bow down to the idolatry of the Romans or to the, the emperor. As long as they weren't rising up people in seditious ways, they were okay. And so that protection was being removed 
by those that the Christians thought were their brothers, that had the same scriptures in which they were learning from and being taught from. And so who say that they are, the, are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. They are those that gather into a gathering or fellowship of Satan. They're not God's people. Don't be deceived by that. They belong to the world. They belong to the world. And so there is a great comfort and encouragement in knowing that Jesus takes notice of our suffering. That's the first way that the church has given this letter and this message, that they are to be comforted in learning suffering. But they were to learn about suffering, it doesn't go unnoticed by God. God has a purpose in it. God is working through that suffering. He's taking notice and bringing you into relationship with him. And so we have to ask them, why is it comforting or encouraging to know that Jesus takes notice of our suffering? One, as we hear Jesus say that, there almost undergirds it an expectation of help. And there is help. There is help. And the very words that the sovereign Lord, the one who's conquered death, has taken notice of your suffering, and he's sending me a message, he's sending the church a message, he's sending you a message, there is a great expectation because that's what hope is. The Christian hope is not fatalistic. It's not simply to say, boy, I hope it'll end up that way. But the Christian hope is an expectation of God. That waiting that we sung about, it's waiting with an expectation that God will show up. And God has shown up. And Jesus has shown up. And the very giving of his letter to the church He's showing up to meet them where they are, to enter into their suffering, to say, I'm here. I'm here. How many of you have gone through life where someone was suffering in a hospital bed and all that you could do was be there? Be there. That's what's going on with the church of Smyrna. Church of Smyrna is truly suffering. They are under the weight of the world's persecution. And Jesus is right there with them. So there's an expectation of help. There's also a sense that Jesus is empathy. He understands because he's gone through it. He has suffered in the like ways. He suffers that he can comfort us, that he can succor us. He can give us nurture and nutrition in the middle of our suffering. Jesus is empathetic to our suffering because he's gone through tribulation. He has gone through poverty. He left the glories of heaven behind to come here into the destitution of earth in order that he could live as we live in order that he can be our high priest and bear the burden of sin upon his shoulder to bring about the deliverance and the restoration that we need. 
that we can be called rich even though we are destitute and full of poverty. And slander, the king of kings went to his own and they would receive him not. They would blaspheme him, make fun of him, tell him, declare yourself to be the son of God. Did Jesus face blasphemy? Absolutely. He knows our pain. He is a man of sorrow, as we sung. There, his knowledge is comforting to us because it expresses his care and concern and his support for us. The knowledge alone, it's like when you get diagnosed with a sickness or a disease, and you're like, I don't understand this. But then you go to somebody who does. You search someone out that's going has gone through the affliction, has gone through something similar, and there they comfort you and saying, I know. I know what you're going through. I know the hopelessness that you feel. I know the torment in you. I know the fear that's going on. There is just a support that comes from that in recognizing that I'm not alone in my suffering. There is an understanding and a compassion. There is a reassuring to know that the one who is the first and the last who died and came to life is the one that's with me in suffering. There's just a great comfort there that someone who knows that my suffering is real is speaking to me. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we think God is surprised by our suffering? Honestly, ask yourself that. Then we need to get a sovereign understanding of who God is. We need to get our hands around God's sovereignty. Because in God's sovereignty is where we have peace. In God's sovereignty is where we can have those questions answered that simply say suffering's in the world because of sin, and then you're asking, well, then how can I be delivered from it? How can I get comfort in this world because I'm nothing but a sinner? Because in God's sovereignty, that's where it's all resolved. It's all resolved because God is sovereign and his grace is powerful. And there is no grace, the thing that you do not deserve, that you can resist, that he will not overcome you and overcome your lack of faith and your lack of trust and your lack of dependence as you go through his suffering. But submit. And are you comforted by knowing that Jesus has suffered like you. In other words, do you have a real relationship with your Savior? Because to know your Savior is know the reason why he suffered. He didn't suffer because he needed to suffer for his sake. He suffered that he can succor us, he can comfort us, that he can deliver us from the weight of sin that we brought upon ourselves. But yet he comes with great power to redeem us. And do you trust Jesus more, knowing that he regards your pain and suffering? 
The second place that we go to find comfort in knowing suffering is to know that suffering has an end. It's not permanent. It's very important for a Christian, especially when a Christian is suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. There is a type of suffering where you're not suffering for Christ. You're suffering because of yourself. But yet there is a special suffering that goes on because you are a Christian. And in that suffering, we have to hear it's not going to last forever. There clearly could have been an expectation here in the church of Smyrna that Jesus is about to deliver the message. Your suffering is going to end. That's not what he says. He says something that's not very comfortable. He tells them, I know you're suffering. I know that you're suffering. But let me tell you about how you're going to suffer some more. How are you going to suffer some more? He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Not very comforting. There's suffering. I know you're suffering, and you're going to suffer even some more. We're not done suffering. You're not done suffering. But in there, there is comfort because he tells us how we are to respond to suffering. The first thing we are to do is not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear. Because when suffering comes, the greatest torment that goes on within inside is fear. What does that mean? What does that mean? Think about a medical uh, diagnosis. And how whenever you're starting off in the beginning of something, and you go through that, and the doctor says, well, I think you may have this. And the fear that comes over you and the torment that comes over you, it takes you and it imprisons you. And so we need to hear the words from Jesus, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Know what's coming. Know what's coming is that you are about to suffer. And in that, there's, there's a strange encouragement and a strength that you find when you know. When the unknown is all around you, that, that, that's, to me, that's the most unbearable, is when I don't know. Because my mind goes every direction, and I try to play out all the scenarios, and fear takes hold of me. But when I know, when I know, there's just a strange strength and encouragement there. And that's what Jesus was saying to the church of Smyrna. You're going to suffer. It's inevitable. That's the other thing a Christian needs to know. Suffering is inevitable. You will not go through this life and not suffer. We may not all suffer in the same degree, but we will all have suffering as we are brought to know our Lord Jesus. Because that's the way that God prunes. That's how Jesus walks among the candlesticks and prunes and sharpens us and gets us ready for the service at hand to worship him. To hold forward the light of his grace and mercy in this world. We have to be prepared. We have to be trimmed. 
We have to be made ready for the moment when we're called to bring about our confession and our commitment towards him. And so do not fear what you're about to suffer, but hold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So he first tells us, do not fear. And the second thing he's telling us is, be not ignorant. Know who you are as a Christian. Know your enemy. Don't be ignorant of your enemy. Don't be ignorant that the world is not your friend. Do not be ignorant that uh, Satan still is not against you. But understand that when suffering comes, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison. There's a consequence. There's a consequence for taking a stand in Christ Jesus. Have you faced that in your life? Have you lost relationships because of what you believe in Christ Jesus? Have you felt the persecution and the torment from those who mock you? Because of what you say about Christ Jesus. And there our Lord Jesus says, Be aware, no, behold, look. It's what that word behold is saying, get your eyes wide open. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Why? That you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. There's a reason. Why God allowed Job to be tested by Satan. There's a reason why God told Satan, go do what you want to Job. But you can't touch his soul. You can touch everything outside of his body, his relationships, everything. There, many would say that what was going on is that God was actually on trial. God was actually on trial. Is God going to be confined? That he has to act in a certain way because of a way that Job would act. But when Job asked why God, God didn't explain it to him. The only thing that Job could do is resolve himself that he knows that my Redeemer lives. He wasn't there when God framed the world and all of creation. Job had to submit to the sovereignty and the authority of God. And so here, that's what we are called to do. Will we submit to the sovereignty and the authority of God when we don't understand the suffering that we're going through? Because the devil is going to throw some of you into prison. The devil's at work. But God's going to bring about a testing, a confirming, a trying of your faith, a purifying of your faith through the very evil that Satan is trying to work. God is going to use it to bring about his glory, to bring about a strong and mature faith. And here he says, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. It's temporary. It's not eternal. It's a set time, a predetermined time. Now, the hard thing is we don't know what that time limit is that God says we're going to suffer. But I can make you one promise that on this side of eternity, you will suffer. On the other side of eternity, if you know Jesus Christ, you will not suffer. 
You will not suffer because suffering has come to an end. And that's what is taking place here. Jesus is telling the church that suffering will not last forever. And then he calls them, he charges them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Be full of faith, trust, be committed, be dedicated to Christ. Don't give up your belief because it's hard that things are going against you. Know that your enemy is seeking who he can devour right now. He wants us. He wants to divide us from whom our God is. And here Jesus charges us, be faithful unto death. That 60 years later, after this letter was written, that will be put on full display. As the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, would be brought to show us exactly what Jesus was charging us to do. Polycarp was 86 years old when it was determined that he needed to be in prison and put to death because of what he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the soldiers went out to seek him, he invited them in and for two hours fed them, comforted them. And then all he asked was, give me an hour to pray. And they granted him that time to pray. And then he gladly went with them. And he was brought to the pro-council. And the pro-council was actually having pity on him. And he said, this is the way that you get out of this. Just curse Christ and I will release you. And Polycarp says, 86 years I have served him. He had never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And then the proconsul then says, do this, old man. Just swear by the genius of the emperor, and that will be sufficient. Just submit the intelligent design of who the emperor is and what he calls people to worship. And so Polycarp says, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly, I am a Christian. And so there came more and more entreaties for Polycarp to denounce God, to denounce Christ, to sin against God. And so then the proconsul threatened him with wild beasts. That's what happened to Christians. They were brought into a theater so all the people around could see what happens to you if you stand for the name of Christ. And beasts would come in and tear these Christians apart. And so, clearly, the proconsul was trying to use fear and intimidation to get his way, to get Polycarp to denounce the faith. And many sadly did. But Polycarp says, Bring them forth. I would change my mind if it meant going from the worse to the better but not to change from the right to the wrong. And the proconsul was mad and angry. And he said, I will have you burned alive. And Polycarp says, you threaten fire that burns for an hour and is over. But the judgment on the ungodly is forever. 
That's the faithfulness. That's the faithfulness that Jesus is charging the church of Smyrna with. Be ready to die for my name. Be ready to die, to give up all. We may not be called to that moment of martyrdom, but we are called to give up our relationships to the world. Don't hold fast to the relationships in this world that divide you from the King of Kings, from Christ. If they get in the way and they are not a help to bring you to Christ, be willing to part from them. Because those ties, the things that bind you to this world will ultimately condemn you. Where the ties that bind us to Christ will ultimately save you. It will deliver you. And so as we, as Christians, when we approach suffering, we have to ask, are we simply just learning how to cope with suffering in this world? That's what the world does. That's what we're called to do is let me teach you how to cope with suffering. But there's a reflection of what was said at the beginning of the bulletin that Tim Keller wrote, and I thought was very powerful because it really put in perspective. It really put in perspective. Is this how I look at suffering? Or do I see it in the biblical way? Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism Suffering is overwhelming. It's not just happening, but it's real. It actually consumes the person that's, being, that's going through the suffering. And contra-Buddhism, and I'm not speaking against any particular religion, just saying here's the mindsets, here's the perspective of how you may see that you're coping with suffering, but you're missing the glorious comfort of the Lord because you're not engaging suffering in the way that we're charged to. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. It's very real. Contra-Karma, suffering is often unfair. Christians recognize that. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. And here's the beautiful phrase. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Look at Polycarp. Do you see how, his, how he is being literally driven into the crown, into the love of God? The more that he's being intimidated, the more that he's being pressured, he says, I'm a Christian. I love God. I love the one who saved me. I've served him for 86 years. Shall I give that up now for a momentary comfort? And it drives you into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. So a Christian doesn't deny or avoid suffering. A Christian embraces suffering and the faith and the belief and the dependence and the trust of the Lord Jesus Christ. It drives us into a stability that we can't understand. It gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we are to, to see, not only just cope 
with suffering, but we're to experience it because God drives us there so we can know the real comfort and the real direction that leads us to eternity. And that's our third point that we see from our sermon text, that suffering has an eternal value. In short, is suffering worth it? Is suffering worth it? Here he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That is all encouragement that Jesus is giving. He's saying, be faithful. Why? Because you're going to receive the crown of life. You're going to receive the sign of victory over death. You don't have it right now. It's something that comes in eternity. And therefore, it puts suffering in a whole different light. It shows the value of suffering is so much more than we can understand. And we're told that because we have overcome, that we have conquered, he who there, that those, the ones who conquer, that we are not those who will be defeated. Jesus will bring us to the end. That is the guarantee of the Christian life, that Jesus will bring us to the end. And then to create a juxtaposition to show us what we've been delivered from, And then also to give a word of warning for those who have not come to Christ. That it says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, when death is really death. Death going into the ground is not the death you should fear. The death that you should fear is the second death where you will experience the all-eternal consuming judgment of God's anger. And God's wrath, separation. And later on in Revelation, it tells us what the second death is. It's the lake of fire. It's not even hell. It's the lake of fire. Hell is going to be taken and cast into the lake of fire. Where torments of your soul and agony and anguish is occurring. That's not the end of that suffering. That's suffering for sure. But there's a suffering on top of that suffering. And it's being thrown into the lake of fire. And so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't hear what he's saying about what suffering is there for is to drive you to me, to believe in me, to know me. Call out to him now. Come and save us. Come and save us. Jesus gives an account in Luke chapter 16 where he talks about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man's going through great comfort and ease in this world. And there's a poor man that's suffering with sores. And he's so destitute that the dogs come and lick his sores. And then when the poor man dies, he goes and he's by the side of Abraham. When the rich man dies, he goes into hell. And there the rich man recognizes that there's a chasm between me and the poor man. Me and where eternity, where no suffering is. I am in such great anguish and torment. Save me, but it's too late. It's too late. And so Jesus is saying that the value, the eternal value of suffering is eternal life. Suffer now. 
so you don't have to suffer then. Suffer now so you don't face the eternal judgment of suffering that will never end. Because the suffering that we have now is a small weight compared to the eternal life that we reap and will receive that Christ has gone and received for us, that we can know how rich we truly are. Thanks be to God in his grace and his mercy.